From the iHeartRadio studios in New York City, come fans of the greatest rock and roll band hailing from Hollywood, California. Dissecting all things Guns N' Roses and anything else distorted. Because you know what the fuck you are! This is Appetite for Distortion. And welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion, episode 49. Almost middle-aged. Uh, it is Brando, and uh, with me, co-host today, uh, I guess the first person that we, we interviewed uh, fan, fan-wise, uh, Sir Kevin from Ireland. What's going on, buddy? Hey, man. How's it going? Uh, top in the morning? No, it's not top. It's top in the, the, the night to you, right? Because it's... E- e- evening and snowing outside, so... Ugh. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cold here. All right, because it's... No. It's mid-afternoon here in uh, in NYC. A little dreary. You know, it was very rainy and windy last night. Not like anyone gives a shit, but you said the S-word, snow. So I'll say the other yeah. X-word. Uh, sucks for you. But um, <laughs> if you don't know, Kevin, I believe, what was the number of your episode? Do you remember? Uh, 27. Of course you remember. So, <laughs> yeah. so uh, Sir Kevin was our first. Uh, well, now it's to be, you're going to experience the first time I'm playing your the theme song. Fan. Uh, You've heard that, right? I think so. (laughs) Fan. Awful, awful, just awful. Uh, But I got that idea from another fan uh, who self-proclaimed a 38-year-old Korean dude from Chicago uh, after our second fan interview with uh, Tomislav from Croatia and me wanting to continue these. Uh, the fan interviews, uh-huh. like what to what to call it. So uh, if you don't know Kevin's story, listen back uh, to the first uh, fan obsession. I won't play it again and uh, and get his. It's a great uh, life story and Guns N' Roses story. So I wanted him on this episode with me to interview um, Steve Gorman from the Black Crows because uh, for a few reasons. So he's going to be coming up in a few minutes. Uh, for one, because as I've been doing with a lot of my, my, my guests, I, as soon as it's confirmed... I put out there, hey, do you have any fan questions? And we're going to ask Steve Gorman, your your fans, some questions, whether on Facebook, um, Twitter, or my GNR forum, uh, that it, you actually, Kevin, you asked a great question I want to get to with Steve, and that's about Izzy. So, uh, yeah. so we'll, we'll get to that with Steve, but uh, I guess this is in addition to the Izzy segue and also the segue of uh, bad sound bites. News. Yeah, starting every episode with a shotgun news. You, uh, you love. <laughs> I'm glad people love it uh, because uh, it's just I I have many issues. So um, in, in addition to shotgun news or part of shotgun news, uh, I want to thank and refer to last episode because and that was the segue with with Izzy. So last episode, you may have heard a lot of people heard last episode more than I really ever imagined. Uh, Alan Niven, former Guns N' Roses manager, was uh, a guest on episode 48, uh, thanks to, and, and it was also co-hosted by Mitch LaFon. So you're the Irish Mitch, uh, Mitch LaFon today. That's that's who you are. I'll take that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that is, I would take that too. And also you're both yeah. hockey fans. See, he's a Canadians yeah. fan who's been kicking our Islanders' ass, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, I heard you that. It all ties in together. It's unbelievable. So... Uh, first, I do want to thank Mitch for uh, setting it up, the interview with uh, with Alan Niven. And 
just Alan in general. I mean, there are a lot of people who listen to the episode, and I know that because the people who, the outlets who picked it up. And I only mention the outlets not to, you know, because I got a one annoying comment on Facebook that's like, why are you sharing the same article a million times? It's like, well, because I'm sharing it from different outlets, and this doesn't happen every time, and I'm acknowledging people who acknowledge me. So if yeah. you didn't notice, um, with the episode with Alan Niven, when she dropped a, a bombshell about Izzy showing up to uh, a sound check, which has been... what What's confirmed nowadays? The only thing that's confirmed is Axel's love of Taco Bell, as we all know. So in our world, yeah. confirmed... And Mitch said to me, actually tweeted to me this morning, that Izzy was at a sound check in Nashville, uh, which was yeah. discussed on my GNR forum when it happened. But now I guess through Alan, we got some sort of, quote, confirmation. So kudos to my GNR for being on that. And supposedly he was rumored to be in Pittsburgh as well. So that's the breaking news. But it was picked up by uh, first, you know, I know um, they're sometimes crazy with their headlines. But they always give me credit, and it's never a lie, and that's, that would be Alternative Nation. So thank you to Brett. Uh, Metal Sucks, Metal Hammer, Loudwire, Guitar World, Up Rocks, Ultimate Guitar, Ultimate Classic Rock, Team Rock, Brave Words. And my buddy Eddie, um, well, two Eddies, uh, Ed Robinson, who's the producer for Eddie Trunk, uh, talked about it on his news segment. So it was talked about it on the Eddie Trunk show. I did not ask him to do that. I wasn't like, hey, can you mention this? No, I don't, it's, I don't do that. Uh, so thank you. Uh, and I'm sure there might be more places that I'm not aware of. Uh, but it was just really cool. If you haven't listened to it yet, uh, it's worth the whole, you know, not just with the Izzy parts. The whole conversation is amazing. Great stories from, from Alan. Uh, and we've been talking crazy to me. Back and forth email since, you know, looping in. I've, we've been having a three-way with uh, Mitch LaFond on uh, via email. You know, some hockey talk, sure. But uh, when this started to go viral, Alan uh, emails me. He's like, well, personally, I, I can't do his accent. Uh, I thought the stuff about Axel and the um, astrology was, was more important and more newsworthy or more interesting, I think, was the word he said. And also, I do want to mention not, you know, uh, anything for my ego, because I don't have one. I'm too self-loathing to have an ego, I believe. Uh, but Alan did say afterwards that he appreciated I mean, I want to get it uh, verbatim, and it is up on our, our, our Facebook. Uh, I put it up there because I'm, I'm, I guess I'm just proud of it. Uh, that he, if I was just full of rock cliches, you know, and didn't go into a deeper conversation because we did talk about depression, um, and I know we talked about that on our episode, Kevin, so there's the tie-in there. Uh, that he, he would have been just quick and gone if it was just, you know, hey, rock and roll, uh, Axel, Izzy, and, and that's it. So that would have been yeah. ridiculous. So he goes, uh, here I found the quote, and thank you for your hospitality. I always enjoy connecting to those who avoid obvious pedestrian cliche rockisms and who will converse with intelligence. Kudos. That makes for a worthwhile broadcast. Uh, imagine that's how he signs his emails. A, that's how he signatures them. So it's that was very... That meant a lot to me, you know, so uh, thank you to everybody who listened and all the great feedback. And I just want to acknowledge all of that. And uh, for one, uh, within the, the shotgun news segment uh, to you, Kevin, being, yeah. you know, is he being your favorite uh, member and, and just yeah. having a lot of ties to him? And you I think you I don't know if anything came of it. You want to be the Izzy in an Irish uh, GNR cover band. I know you were trying to start yeah. one. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? First of all. 
Um, my thoughts are, I mean, if if it was a sound check, then it was obviously something similar to what Steve's had done. It was a guest spot. Right. Um, I would rather not see Izzy guest with his own band again. It's, I, I think, I think he he was annoyed initially, like not doing the whole thing because of the likes of people like Melissa being there and stuff. And I suspect that that we're going to have a third guitarist anyway. Um, if if Izzy had came out on stage, you know, it's not like Richard would have left. So we wouldn't be getting this slash Izzy thing that we've been missing for so many years. We'd be getting just this different GNR all over again. That's I, I don't think it's what he wants. As As for what's pissed him off, I don't know if it's any of those things. I don't know if it's the whole thing with money. It's again. It's just shrouded in mystery. But personally, I I wouldn't like to see him be a guest for his own band. I mean, those guys are out playing songs he wrote or co-wrote yeah. all, all all the time, and it's just I don't know. It's, it, um, I, the more it goes on, the more the less comfortable um, with the not in this lifetime tour. Wow. Just how 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 they're dealing with with Izzy and Steve and. I know it's definitely added to probably what I'm sure Axel wanted to avoid and why we don't hear too much from Steven after he spoke with uh, with Mitch. And uh, yeah. I'm sure Axel—I mean, it's just crazy to me. I have no idea if, you know— uh, I mean, I know for a fact Slash has listened to at least the episode with London, you know, uh, yeah. you know, obviously his fucking kid. So I know he's at least aware of this— uh, existing but I, so I'm not going to assume Axel has listened of course not I don't have that ego but I'm sure he's the story is still viral regardless so and I'm sure yeah. Axel did not want that to get out there because that causes you know the dizzy the Izzy iHards to to get upset and this is not a, a true reunion and um I get that part of it I'm just wondering again like what happened it could not be just solely about money because he flew out there Already, so yeah. you would there would have been a preliminary conversation, and not that Izzy thinks that first, of course not, but that w- could have been part of it, and that the, he was uh, there were talks of Pittsburgh. I'm being told by uh, Mitch Lafon as well that there's yeah. something there's something more to it, and it's not like they had two drummers on stage. You know, Frank left, Adler came on. So I mean, I know yeah. uh, Fortis has been you know obviously he's been in the band longer than Izzy, but he did not write those songs, and I I don't think that. You know, I've never met Richard. We have a common friend that I hope to speak to him someday. I don't think he would have been, like, upset. Hey, let Izzy have this, this, I, yeah. the stage. So I, I don't know what it is. I mean, there are rumors that, uh, you know, again, these are just rumors. Like, the typical, I, I, I now that I'm starting to actually meet people, I will tell you if I kind of know something or if I don't. I don't know anything of this. Uh, yeah. That maybe because Stephen... Because he was recently quoted saying that it almost caused him to drink again, not being joined on the reunion. So maybe the fact that he's really still battling, uh, maybe that's hard for Izzy to be around. Again, this is purely speculation. It's just I'm just saying that there seems to be more to the story yeah. uh, than this. So if anything, I look at it like this. There was communication, and the potential is always there. Uh, it's the saga of Guns N' Roses will continue. More of us to talk about. Um, yeah. you know, maybe if they are recording something, uh, m- 
does it mean that these people, you know, Adler or Izzy are involved in that but not in touring? I mean, these are, there's a lot of questions that, that we don't know. And I do not expect that to get, to get that from Alan. You know, if you listen to the interview, yeah. and I'm glad most places included the quote where he said hypothetically with his feelings on Izzy, and maybe I'm sure there are elements of truth in there somewhere. But I said, hey, if you don't want to talk about this, you can say, hey, uh, Izzy's off riding in the sunset, you know, hanging with his uh, his French lady, and you don't have to answer. So he offered up that yeah. information. And he does talk to uh, people in the current. I mean, just because you're not managing the band anymore doesn't mean friendships end. I mean, yes, their yeah. friendship with Axel seemed to uh, has, uh, have ended, but there are other people. So he's not, he has nothing to gain from lying. Uh, I don't think he's lying, but he, he, he's always been a great advocate of Izzy. Like, I've, I've heard and read so many interviews with Alan, and he's He's just always been so pro Izzy, you know, in terms of how important he was to the band. Yeah. Never the same after he left. Yeah, he called it, and I'm going to get his quote right, the heart of the soul. That's what he refers to Izzy yeah. of Guns N' Roses. Yeah, he's, he's, he's entirely right, you know, from from my own point of view, being a being a fan and, and Izzy being the one that, that got me playing guitar in the first place. is Right. It's, 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 it's always been missing him. The, the problem is, when Izzy left, it was before they'd made all these big videos and before they, they released like the Tokyo DVDs and everything. So Izzy's not really in people that became fans at the height in, in their heads. You know, it's, 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 there's so many different pockets of GNR fans. Yeah. You know? I try to be in the main, I want to be in the, in the giant uh, kangaroo pouch for a disgusting analogy for what you were just saying. But yeah, there are many different pockets, and you're right. And that yeah. what this did was spark and, you know, reopened a possible wound for some. Honestly, some of the res uh, responses that I got, saying, either being, yeah. oh, my God, I was so close, or actually that was a lot of it. Oh, my God, I was so close, especially the people that were at the Nashville show. I mean, that's kind of like, right. oh, my God. Um, so, I mean, I, I get what you're saying, and I, I don't disagree with you. And I, I think when we initially had you on with the, with Scotto, you know, Scotto and I, are, we're, we're okay with it being this reunion, but of course, I would love to see yeah. the original five. It's just, it's just more to it. This is, there's more to it. And uh, if, if anything, I took it, I took it like that. Like, there's just more stories from Guns N' Roses, from all the, the, the pockets of Guns N' Roses that there are that we don't know yet. And we're going to hear, of course, uh, I we're going to talk to Steve Gorman because I think there are some pockets of GNR history that he um, has yeah. actually been a part of, which is amazing to me. Um, but and I also want to get your opinion on, uh, on this because we're going to obviously Steve Gorman being a drummer. And, and we'll do this uh -huh. as the last segment of news. And that would be uh, Matt Sorum saying he's going to release a new book, and it's going to be one of the juiciest GNR books. So there are more stories. Exactly, there are more stories out there. And Matt, yeah, uh, you know, I've I've reached out to him, and you know, he's hard to, to you know, he's a little elusive. Uh, I know he recently did an interview with um, with Matt Pinfield. Uh, you know, Pinfield's he's uh -huh. a name. I'm I'm a nobody. I'm lucky who I've gotten so far. Uh, but I'd like to think when he puts that the book, he'll be on a radio tour, and hopefully I'll get him when he does that. Uh, yeah. But just what stories he may have in that pocket of GNR history, I, uh, for me, he, he's always been a well-spoken guy. Uh, I was disappointed with Adler's book, with just the, the writing, so I want to get a drummer's perspective, for me, a better drummer's yeah. perspective 
uh, on that band. So uh, did you know about that at all? Because you, you've read all of them, right? All the GNR autobiographies? Yeah, I've, I've, I've read every one of them. Yeah, exactly. Um, what, what I'm looking forward to most about Matt's is there's, he's kind of, he's got the whole way through because the original lineup toured with the cult when he was in the cult and then there was his tenure and then he was in Snake Pit and then he was in Neurotic Outsiders with Duffs and then he was in Velvet Revolver. So there's, there's right. going to be a lot in there. Right. Plus, Matt, Matt stayed up well after Slash left, you know, during the, the Robin Fink, Paul Tobias era as well. So I'm hoping there's a lot of that in there. You know, there's, there's, there's a lot of things we've not been told because other members had, had already left at that time. But Matt, Matt has this whole run through. You're right. I'm hoping it's, I'm hoping it's juicy. <laughs> it sounds like it's going to be uh, juicy. And yeah. uh, you know what? Um, I do want to mention one thing, but I want people to actually go to Axel Rose's Twitter and read it because I'm not the kind of person. I don't like getting a tweet and, put, and making it like into like my own thing. You know, I, it's like if it's someone else's, I give them credit. Like if you actually, if you go to, and this is going to be the next episode, episode 50, um, Raz Q, he gave me and John Miller some never before seen or hasn't been seen in decades pictures of LA Guns and Axel and because we're going to be interviewing yeah. original drummer before Adler, uh, Rob Gardner. So I want to give Raz Q credit for that. So go to RazQ.com before you go to the AFD show on Facebook or Twitter. Point, that was my segue to... If you want to read about Axel shitting on uh, our first lady <laughs> at Ivanka Trump, he's been on a political tirade, and it's been hilarious. Go to Axel, yeah. and his use of, of emojis has been amazing. So uh, I, I hope we get more political Axel. I really want, I know I tweeted this once to Dell James. I would love, the, not just to interview Dell, but because he's really political on, on Twitter. For him, just I, I just want to give him like an outlet. Hey, you want five minutes just to give you know talk about shit about Trump? Come on the AFD show. I don't care. It'll be you know just going a rant. I, I I would love I would love that. So uh, I guess that wraps up this portion of uh, news. So uh, thank you for joining me for that, Sir Kevin. No problem at all, man. And it looks like uh, Steve Gorman's calling up. So joining us on the phone, uh, as uh, Sir Kevin and I have been alluding to for a while, is uh, Steve Gorman uh, from the uh, from Fox, Fox Sports Radio. See, I'm on the radio as well, but I can't get it out. Uh, Fox Sports Radio, 6 to 8 Pacific, right? I believe Steve Gorman Sports. I can't That's say it. That's correct. Okay, I can't say it like you. <laughs> uh, also a trigger happy. Trigger hippie. Trigger hippie. I-P-P-Y. I have trigger hippie written down, so I'm not an idiot. I just misread it. So I'm, yeah. I'm partially an idiot. And I could re-edit this, but I'm not going to because I... Let it, just let it rip, man. Exactly. That's roll. rock and roll. I have Trigger Hippie written down. Of course, I don't even have it written, I need to have it written down because I know who you are. We've met before. And, and of course, uh, legendary drummer from the Black Crows, uh, Steve Gorman. Welcome to uh, Appetite for Distortion. Thank you, sir. It's a, it's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, I wish I was... Well, I was going to say I wish I was physically with you, but I stopped myself because that's a weird sentence to start off with i start everything off weird it's been a while steve since we've actually physically met a couple years ago um what we do here at premier radio at, at uh iheart and nyc a lot of the guys from fox sports from la when they have business in new york will come out here and they still have a show to do and they'll use their facilities and i'm usually the guy who um for lack of a better word uh, babysits them or connects them to the isdn line which is a fancy term for a phone line 
Like, actually, Steve, in a few hours, I have Chris Broussard coming in, so I got to work with him today. And uh, Doug Gottlieb earlier in the uh, the week as well. Yeah. But, but Steve came in uh, last, it was maybe a year and a half ago, two years ago, and I was like, I was. I heard Steve Gorman from Fox Sports Radio was coming in. I'm like Steve Gorman, isn't that the drummer from the Black Crows? And it's not. It doesn't seem to be like a crazy rare name, you know. It's not like Steve Gutenberg. They're like, oh my God, I guess it could have been another Steve Gorman. Uh, and then sure enough, when I saw you, that was you. And not to not to recap too much on a moment that you may or may not remember, probably not because you've lived quite a life. I. I've told everyone since, and this is, I don't know why, you're like the one celebrity I, I didn't take a picture with. I think, I don't know why I didn't, because I'm usually really bad with that. Uh, that you were so unbelievably nice. Between every commercial break, you came in and wanted to talk to me and find out about me, you know, my career. And, of course, you know, you let me you ask about the Black Crows, and you were open about everything. It's, it was crazy. I was like, not, it was, I don't know, it was like an awesome conversation that's always stuck with me, that that happened off the record just out of the kindness of your own heart. So, uh, in addition, well, just, so it's a part, I learned a long time ago that if you, if you do all those things, then people forget to get the fit, the picture with you. And then, you know, it's, it's all about avoiding that. It's all about avoiding that photo. Next time, I promise you, yeah. well, you may say no, but, uh. Oh, the, the next be- time I'll be next. See, next time I'll be rude, and then it'll occur to you. I need to get a picture with this guy. <laughs> yes. you, won't, you won't be disarmed by my inherent charm, and then you'll remember that I'm a celebrity, and then you'll just want a photo instead of a conversation. You see? Yes, I know. But no, I, I got what what you should get out of meeting someone, whether it's a, le- a celebrity or not. Just was like a positive experience and a conversation. So thank you for that. And now I'm just glad. I guess I can record and share a conversation with you with everyone, uh, which, which is just uh, so cool. Uh, so I want to get, of course, you know, it's a GNR podcast. Um, you do have some experience playing with Slash. I don't know how often, you know, much you've spoken about that before. Uh, I do want to get to that. Uh, but I really want to find out more about you, because in addition to, you know, I love growing up in the Black Crows, you know, uh, Kevin grew up in the Black Crows. Me being in radio and trying to make it in radio you have just a naturally beautiful voice, and I sound like Fran Drescher's nephew. Mr. Sheffield, I, 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 it's taken me a while to like my voice. You have a beautiful voice. So I want to find out how Steve Gorman has just grown into this multi-talented, multi-faceted, you know, uh, just playing with everyone. Bob Dylan, of course, the Black Crows, and, and being on Fox Sports Radio, I mean, which is incredible. How did that start? Where did, you know, because you grew up. I, well, the plan, I think yeah. the plan was always, I mean, I, I went to college. I was, I was a broadcasting major in college. Me you too. Know, broadcast journalism major. Me so, too. I mean, that was actually the plan, if, 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 if you could call it that. I mean, my plan was, I grew up, I grew up my entire life. The only two things my brain ever really focused on were, were music and sports. Um, so, you know, listening to records obsessively from the time I, was five when I got my first album and then watching and playing sports. I mean, that was it. So, you know, music was always, you know, as, as a kid thinking about what I want to be, I never thought I wanted to be a sportscaster. I always thought I wanted to be in a band. I mean, that was my, for, for as I don't remember a time where I didn't think I just want to be in a band. And I was, you know, grew up a massive Beatles fan. That was my first band. And, uh, you know, I just that, that was just how I saw the world, which is you get into a band and then you watch, you know, then you watch a game on TV before the gig. I mean, literally, like I would imagine how great it would be 
to be in a rock band and have access to tickets and just to be able to see games. Like I would have that linear, that conscious thought as a kid. And I used to think, I bet the Beatles were all at the World Cup in 1966 mm-hmm. when it was in England. I bet they all went. And, of course, I've met Ringo Starr, and I've become friendly with him, and I asked him that once, and he looked at me and said, I didn't even know it was happening. So, <laughs> so much for my childhood fantasies about the Beatles and the English uh, you know, soccer team all hanging out together. But, um, yeah. you know, it was a very – it was just – so, you know, and I played sports. I have five older brothers, and we were all athletes, and we all played basketball and soccer. And, um, you know, it was just – I mean, but but in that way, but I know a lot of kids that are like that. You know, you love – especially when you're a teenager in the late 70s, early 80s, everybody had their favorite bands, and everybody had their favorite teams that I knew anyway. And that's just how it was. I had moved from Baltimore to a small town in Kentucky when I was 10. So – you know, I, it's funny because I always think if my family had stayed in Maryland, um, I probably would have gotten started drumming a lot earlier. But in a small town in Kentucky, there just didn't seem to be any – I didn't see any path to being a musician. You know, I, I could see getting a drum kit and just sitting in my basement playing along to records, but that just didn't interest me. I just always wanted to be, like, actually in a band. And I didn't know anybody that wanted to be in a band with me. You know, I didn't know anyone else that even played guitar or was trying. So – I really didn't give that any serious thought. By the time I was 14, 15, you know, I was just resigned, I guess, in my head. I was like, well, I'm just going to go to as many concerts as I can as soon as I get my driver's license. and I'm just going to play high school sports and I'll figure it out as it goes. And I got to college and two things happened when I was a freshman in college. One, I met a guy who had a drum kit and I sat down behind it and started playing it. I said, can I try that? Because I had been air drumming and obsessed. I've been feeling like I was a drummer my whole life and I had just never done anything about it really. Um, and I sat down at a drum kit and started and just immediately started playing. And I was like, really just more to prove to myself I could do it. I mean, I wasn't good, but I knew how to do it and I knew what to do. I knew where my hands and feet were supposed to go and I could just play a beat right away. And I thought, man, I knew I should have been doing this. But I also felt, well, I'm already 18. It's way too old to start something now, you know, Mm -hmm. because I was in college and it just seemed absurd to me. So the other thing was it it had dawned on me that I was not going to play professional basketball, quite sadly. Mm -hmm. So how else do I stay connected to sports? And, you know, by the time 50 people say, man, you got a great voice, you know, I start thinking about it in those terms. And my brothers and I had all been – uh, you know, broadcasters in the home. I mean, when we would watch a game, we would just do play-by-play, all of us simultaneously to each other, just trying to make each other laugh. And it just dawned on me, and the school I went to, um, Western Kentucky, has a good broadcasting school. And so by the time I was a sophomore, I think I had just sort of come up with this loose idea, like, oh, sportscaster, okay, you can go to school for that? Okay, cool. And then right then, like ESPN was really like sports center was turning into a thing. Mm -hmm. And I would watch that at night and think, man, I could do that. I could go talk about sports and kind of be funny. And I would just love to, excuse me. I would just love to be able to follow and, you know, go to see, you know, in my mind, I was like, what they're in Connecticut. I could probably go to Knicks games. I mean, I remember thinking that like, yeah, I bet I, I bet I get tickets to the Knicks. (laughs) You know, it just seemed like a way to, Sure, have access to great sporting events. And so, you know, that just seemed like a reasonable plan. Um, but but the but the thought of playing drums and the thought of getting into a band, once I got to school, you know, and I was in college and I met a few guys 
because he said, yeah, let's jam, you know, and all of a sudden I was playing here and there. And by jamming, I mean, let's learn some three minute punk rock songs because there's only two chords and let's just make a lot of noise. And just, I, I had to do that one time. And then I was like, kind of screwed because I knew in the back of my head, Oh man, I'm not going to let this go anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Um, so long story short, I played a few parties with some friends and by few, I mean, literally like we played a new year's Eve party and we did the same party three years in a row. So in a, in a span of, you know, in, in 24 months, we played three parties, three new year's Eves. And, and I was like, okay. And then, and then I found a couple new friends to do a few house parties in college. I was a junior in college and we probably played four times and, and we had learned you know, 15 songs. We played them all three times each. They're like Clash songs and Ramon songs. And, uh, and I was, but I was obsessed. I was the guy saying like, guys, let's get serious. Let's write our own songs. And they looked at me like I was crazy because they're all like, you know, they're in college for real. And I was kind of faking it, you know, because <laughs> in the back of my mind, I'm just a drummer the whole time. All that to say, a, a, a guy I'd grown up with, I started my senior year in 1986 in, in August. And a buddy of mine from high school had moved to Atlanta and he called me and he was playing guitar and, and we were we were still very close. We had always stayed in, in touch. Back before you had cell phones and emails, we, we talked all the time. Just to, That's an indicator of the fact that we were very good friends if we still stayed, kept up with each other. And um, he called one day and he goes, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm dropping out of school and I'm going to start a band. You're still playing drums, right? And I said, yeah, I play all the time, which was a bold-faced lie. And he said, well, do you want to come to Atlanta and do this with me? And I said, yes. I mean, that's all it took. I just needed somebody that I knew and that I trusted and who I had similar musical taste with. And I knew that he was serious. I could tell he was not like just going to, it wasn't going to be a little lark. And I said, yeah, I'm in. And I mean, I decided right there on the phone, like, that's it. I'm dropping out and I'm going to Atlanta. I'd never, I mean, I'd barely spent any time there. I didn't know anything about Atlanta, but I was like, well, he's there. I'm going and I'm going to start a band. And that was it. I mean, and I just... So broadcasting, you know, took about a 25-year detour. <laughs> and that detour was called the Black Crows. I mean, that's a little, you know, it's kind yeah. of a named uh, detour. Yeah, so, yeah, my buddy and I, his name was Clint, and I got to Atlanta to start a band with him, and Chris Robinson was his roommate. And, um, you know, I moved down and started my own band, and Chris and his brother had their own band already. But I moved into a house, and then I was actually in the same room uh, you know, Chris and I shared a room. There was two bedrooms in the house and there was two guys in each bedroom. And so the day I got to town, you know, Chris picked me up at the bus station and, and within about three or four, that was February. And then in, you know, at some point in June, I switched bands. I, I left my, the band I had moved down there to start and joined up with Chris and Rich. So by the summer of 87, I was in Mr. Crow's garden. And then that turned into the black crows. Right. I mean, you had quite a, a journey to go there, and I know you, you've spoken uh, publicly a few times about, you know, how you joined the Black Crows and and uh, them breaking up. And the thing I took away from from meeting you, and it sparked in my mind. I think at the time I was doing this this podcast because you had a really a, a brilliant idea, and it bothered you. And I don't know if it still bothers you that it didn't come to fruition, but the uh, anniversary uh, that you were trying to work on that you wanted to have uh, take your radio show on the tour on tour with. Right. Yeah, that was always the well. Yeah, when I started doing local radio in Nashville in 2000, um, I mean probably 2008, I started doing Sunday nights every now and again. Like I knew the guy at the local sports talk station, and I told him I had this idea to do a show 
which is essentially musicians talking sports, which in Nashville, Tennessee, is not an odd idea. No, and with That's your cousin, right? Uh, well, not initially. It was me and a buddy down here. Okay. Um, my cousin didn't get involved until we got picked up by Fox Sports Radio okay. in 2014. Okay. So um, initially I was just doing Sunday nights, but once I kind of really paid attention, you know, it dawns on me how this thing works, which is basically you get sponsors, and we would go out, and do events like I took my show, even when it was just a local show on Sunday nights. I went up and I went up to the Kentucky Derby for a weekend. I knew I had a buddy that worked there, and he got us all the media credentials. And then we got a sponsor to send me and two other guys to Louisville for the whole weekend. And we 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 were live on the air from Churchill Downs, and we were just drinking mint juleps and having a great <laughs> time. And it was on the radio. I mean, it was crazy. I was like, man, this. I felt like I was Hunter Thompson or something. You know? <laughs> like, this is this is great. You know, I'm. I'm drinking at the Kentucky Derby and talking about it on the radio. This is this is yeah. this is a good way to get get you know to pass the time. And um, I started thinking about the Black Crows were going to go out on tour again in 2013. And by that point, I had built my show in 2012. I started doing a daily show in Nashville, and it was going really well uh, locally. And so when the Crows decided to go out again in 2013. You know, I just had this vision of of a tour bus that's that's got a radio studio in the front lounge. Like in my mind, it's like I don't know how this technology works technologically speaking, but if I could just get this thing set up and hook up on a satellite link, that would be amazing. Well, for local radio, that wasn't really probably going to happen. But in the back of my mind, I always saw it as the perfect world is you you have a tour bus, you got a you, you can broadcast from the bus, you do a radio show in the afternoon, then you go play a gig at night. That was just a, and and then, far more importantly to me, honestly, at the time, was if I get that to happen, if I could get some sponsors to put a put a bus out there, then I got my own bus. Mm-hmm. You know, separation yeah. from the rest of the Black Crows was definitely a goal. As far as <laughs> that um, and so, you know, it, it was just something I thought about for 2013. Like that would be cool. That's a goal down the road. When the tour in 2013 ended, we had every intention of touring again in 2015, and that was going to be a 25th anniversary of our first album, 25th anniversary, basically, Black Crows tour. And also, we were discussing very sincerely and seriously, and it all signed off on that being, this could be the the legitimate farewell tour, like for real, because we all are kind of sick of each other. You know, everyone has their own other band that they're much happier with, and, and, and let's just, let's just pay tribute to all that we've accomplished. Yeah, that just a, it would have been a good number to end on, 25 years, quarter of a century. Yeah, it, it's, a perfect, it's a perfect, you know, it's like putting that bow on the on the box, you know, it's like a perfect theory yeah. on top is to go out, and for us it would have been an unusual thing to do something where we had a plan and then stayed with the plan, and then at the end of it all shook hands and said, well done, see you later, you know, that would have been... Yeah, a nice adult uh, way to finish things. Um, so what happened right at the end of the 2013 tour is Fox Sports Radio called and said, you know, let's take your show nationwide. And right away I went, oh, man, I can totally get this tour going, for you know, because I knew, okay, do, radio, do, do a national show for a year, and then the Black Crows launch a farewell tour. That bus is going to happen. Like, I'll get a national sponsor to put that bus on the road with a satellite studio in the front lounge. This will be awesome. Because in my mind, I could see, you know, everywhere everywhere you go, somebody wanted to be, you know, every city we'd go to, there'd be, a, you know, either a musician or an athlete in that town that would come and hang on the bus for the day. 
And so it was, and that really, the, the people at Fox Sports Radio loved that idea. Because it's brilliant. When, yeah, when I was first talking to them, it made sense, you know. And, and a lot of radio guys, they really don't travel well. You know, like they go to special events, but the idea of a radio show just constantly on the road, no one does that. And for me, it's natural to be traveling mm-hmm. all the time. So so it was, a, it, was a, it was something I was excited about. It did not take long before I was dispossessed of the concept because uh, the band blew up shortly after I started with Fox Sports. Like the month, I, within a month of me starting on Fox Sports Radio, it was obvious the band was about to explode. Mm. And uh, so, yeah. so that, that, that's still shelved. I mean, Trigger Hippie gets busy over the next uh, couple of years. Maybe we'll see if we can get to that point. But um, you know, it was it was it's 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 a great idea that still exists, at least in my mind. Good. I'm glad it does. And there's a lot of things to to segue from there. For one, I I'm always somebody who gives credit. You know, I, I want credit given to me when I do something and I give credit when someone else does something. So your idea I think is brilliant and I really hope radio in general take that and, and credits you with it. Because my goal here, honestly, and you kind of inspired that. I want Guns N' Roses to, to, you know, to make their own, to take your idea and run with it and make it their own to do that. To think about, you know, they all want to talk and, have, and, and, you know, have an outlet. You know, yes, Twitter has been great for Axel the past few days. But if they were to have, I mean, you're telling me that Duff wouldn't want to have his own radio show and he, does, he talks before the, uh, the, he goes on, on, on stage and that wouldn't be monumentally successful. You know, and, and yeah. if they and if they need a producer or a program director, I'd be happy to do it. But I'm saying that I just <laughs> over lining to every great idea. Yeah, and and you yeah. have that that initial foundation of a great idea because it should be traveling well. And while radio is, you know, there's a lot of things changing in radio uh, nowadays. Um, things with, with local or national, and I and you have to get creative. And I think that's a very creative thing to do. Uh, so, in addition to that, uh, you know. What I think is just honestly, it's I've been thinking about it, a brilliant idea. Uh, just the concept of just putting together a final farewell tour and it falling apart before it got together. And that was the premise or the idea or all the ide- things swirling around Guns N' Roses, not in this lifetime. So there's been a lot of comparisons between the Black Crows and GNR before and since then, but they seem to continue. And that did not fall apart. So I, I don't know. Have yeah. you Have you seen... Uh, I don't know if you, do you have. I don't know if you, have you spoken publicly about an opinion of the reunion and see that like, if if Axel can get together with Slash, if they can make it work for at least one last time. Uh, I mean, we we're we're all surprised it's still going, but it could have been just yeah. one final set of dates. Uh, that well, that, I mean, mm-hmm. and I, I don't I don't I don't say that this is not offered in with any snark or any. I'm not throwing any. I'm not kicking sand in anyone's face. Mm-hmm. When a band hasn't played together in 25 years or 22 years or whatever it was, and they've all burned every bridge possible, and someone comes up to them and says, oh, by the way, guys, stadiums. When, when the word is stadiums, that changes everything. And that's not I, – I'm, I'm not saying it's a money grab. I, I, I'm sure those guys are happier and probably more blown away by how much they enjoy playing together again than they ever could have imagined. But the reality is that band – Made, there is no comparison between what Guns N' Roses did to the rock landscape and the Black Crows. We never had that kind of impact. I mean, long term, and for the people who love the Black Crows, of course, we're a huge band. But, I mean, Guns N' Roses obliterated the landscape in 1988. I mean, that, that, they were the single, that was a comet, you know, for real. And I was, you know, when I was in a local band in 1987, 
and trying to figure out what we're going to sound like and who we're going to be. And my band is, we're obsessed with the replacements and a bunch of Southern indie bands and REM is the, as at least as a, as a template of how to do it your own way. You know, we're listening to, you know, the long riders. I mean, bands that are, you know, like the, the REM was starting to take off, but the majority of our main influential points were club bands. Most people have never heard of that was our mindset. So a band like guns and roses to a band like Mr. Crow's garden would have been like, no way. And in fact, the first time I ever saw their album, I thought it was silly and they all had these dumb names. And I was like, <laughs> whatever, hard rock idiots from the Sunset Strip. That's the antithesis of what we are. Mm. And then and then and then I heard that record. And even though I didn't admit it at the time, the first time I ever heard Appetite for Destruction, I was like, there's something very different about this. This is nothing to do with all these other bands in L.A. And. Obviously, within a year of that, you know, it took a little while for that match to strike. But within a year of its release, and certainly by 1989, I mean, by the time Live came out, I was working at a record store, at a, at a, at a you know independent vinyl shop in Atlanta. And I mean, Guns N' Roses were the first, second, third, and fourth biggest thing we had. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that's, so, so to see them get back together after all these years not as big a surprise to me because if you know take away the money take away whatever there's just no getting around the enormity of what that band was and you know it continued even through you know and like i remember specifically when metallica put out the black album and then the notion that metallica was actually sort of going a little beyond like i think they're actually the biggest band in the world now and that was the conversation at the time for a minute, you know what I mean? Like, for a brief minute, there was Metallica and Guns N' Roses. And then before you even knew it, then there's Nirvana. So in the middle of all that sort of stuff, that's where the Black Crows had their greatest impact, between Guns N' Roses and Nirvana. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. we, didn't have, we didn't have a moment like, like that, that compares to either one of those bands, because Nirvana then was every bit as big as Guns N' Roses had been four years earlier. And in the middle of those two things is when we hit. So... You know, we we never had a – we didn't have that rocket ship ride that those bands did. But you're still uh, – uh, I mean – That said, for, but for mm-hmm. 20 years, for 20 years, we maintained a pretty steady touring. And, you know, we were at a level we were at. Uh-huh. But it was – but but it's it's a very different thing to suggest that after, after five years, maybe the Black Crows put something back together. Everybody's doing their own thing. And we had just stayed at this level for so long. And it and it needed to end. I mean, there's no the, the ethos of the Black Crows was to just make new music and keep going forward. And when it became obvious that those two brothers refused to write songs together, or I should say that Chris refuses to write songs with Rich, there's no reason for the band to exist anymore. That's just how we always were. For Guns N' Roses, it's a very different thing. What was it like being being in a band with two brothers? Is it like? An oasis situation where, you know, it's, it I, I can tell you what it is. I can or... tell you what it is. It's just it's just a complete pain in the ass. <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah. You know, you've got you've got. I mean, I'm writing a book about the band right now. And Great. So living it. I was going to ask you that. Okay. Um, you know, and I mean, it's a band that. You know, we got we, we we put ourselves in a position where we you know we were a great great rock and roll band. Yes, you were. And. Yeah. And had we not been 
then there's no way anybody not named Robinson would have lasted for more than five minutes because they made it really, really difficult just to be around. It was, yeah. you know, and it's not, it's not the, it's not the fist fights. Those happened every now and again. It's the every five minute argument. It's arguing about which way to drive to the studio. It's arguing about, you know, who ordered wheat bread? I said rye. I mean, it's <laughs> everything. Yeah. And it's impossible for anybody that wasn't around the band to fully understand how how ridiculous it is. And it's and, you know, and it's like it like I said, it's really embarrassing if you remove the music we made from the storyline. Because then you're like, What in the hell was I doing with these people? You know, they were mm. nuts. I mean, you get on stage for a couple hours, and all of a sudden, it's like, well, it doesn't matter. It's all worth it. You know, that was that's how the Black Crows operated. Amazing. So and, this lends itself to um, one of the, because we had a lot of fan questions for you, uh, Steve, from all over the, the world when I put this out. And I know you have a limited uh, amount of time, so I want to make sure uh, I get to yeah. them. So then so, talking about, you know, Rich, of course, uh, one of the questions I got was from uh, Russ from my GNR forum. If you were ever interested in joining uh, Rich's current band, uh, Magpie Salute, or... Uh, it's made it sound like you it was never going to happen with Chris but now am I misinterpreting that you wouldn't work with Rich again no I'm not I mean Rich talked to me he called me and asked if I was interested and I wasn't I mean I to me um, they're a package deal you know what I mean Mm. it's like I I don't there's there's nothing you know and and to go out and I don't begrudge Rich on any level for going out and playing putting a band together with a lot of members of the band and playing black girls. I mean, somebody should be playing those songs. They're great songs. But for me, I, I just, I didn't, it just was not at all interesting to me. I mean, I, you know, my, from, from day one, I mean, I know it's, it's the way the public views a band and the marketing of a band and the imaging of a band is one thing. And that's that the Black Crows are the two brothers, and everybody's usually on either one side or the other. It's Chris or, you know, are you a Chris guy or are you a rich guy? And the two of them operated in that way. Like, they looked at every member of the band as, is that my guy or his guy? Whereas, I, but I'm the one guy that's immune to all that because I was there from the beginning. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, you know, I'm me. I, I'm not either one of their, you know, I, right. I if the three of us were going to play music together and call it the Black Crows, that's a phone call I answer and consider. But to go play with either one of them separately is, is absolutely no interest for me. That's Totally. That makes sense. I I respect that. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and it's not a defiant thing. No. Natural as anything else. It's just, and by the way, I have my own other band. Now we've by design just taken a couple years off because we had to reboot the entire thing and kind of start from scratch because I had a lot of things that I needed to be done differently. If we were going to move forward, I have a radio career. I've got a family. I mean, everybody, I never shied away from having other things in my life. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? And yeah, and in a, in a in a in a perfect world, the Black Crows would have been all any of us ever wanted or needed. You know, we could have developed enough within that band and an infrastructure and a million things where that would have always been there for us. That was just not how they they aren't able to function within that mindset. You know what I mean? Like that was just never an option. Like the band REM, who again I I think is the smartest and most well-managed, organized. They're just, I love how they did everything. Even when I stopped listening to their records, I have ultimate respect for how they operated. You know, REM still exists. It's still a, 
they're never going to play another gig, but they've got an entire world that they've created that they still maintain. You know, Jimmy Page still keeps up with the Led Zeppelin legacy, obviously, very well. Mm-hmm. There's none of that with the Black Crows. Like, the Black Crows are just dead, buried, salted, raised, destroyed to the to the nth degree. Yeah, I don't think you have a, I was looking to, to tag you in, in uh, the Black Crows in Twitter. I don't think there's an official Black Crows Twitter. The one that I found hasn't been active. No, there's nothing. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing. There's not. There's no. There's not. There's literally... Nothing. <laughs> no, it's 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 sad. I mean, this also segues, and I got to give another fan on my GNR forum where I put out questions, and he might as well. And Rich, you'll, I mean, uh, Steve, you'll I called you Rich. Steve, you'll appreciate this. He, he was like he was my own producer for the day. Uh, Ludo Reigan, he gave me like sheets of questions to ask you, and it's a lot of uh-huh. this could be a um, a loose analogy, I guess, but I can think of like Magpie uh, as the Velvet Revolver of the Black Crows. You know, how, like, is it uh-huh. really? Uh, it's, but that's my shoehorning a segue in there. So um, sure. <laughs> thank you for letting me do that. So uh, Slash said in an old interview before Velvet that he was jamming with you and a bass player around 2002, writing and rehearsing. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was, and it's really funny, too, because I the Black Crows first ended at the end of 2001. Um, you know, I quit the band at the in December of 2001. And, you know, we had the band had agreed to take a hiatus, which meant Chris wanted to go make a solo record. And 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 basically said to us, if I can build my own career, I'm not coming back. Which to me is the same thing as saying, go fuck yourself. You know, it's like, (laughs) okay, see you later. And then I so I said, well, then I'm, I'm not waiting around for that. Goodbye. So I quit. And. And there was no band. I mean, like the, at the end of 2001, the Black Crows then ceased to exist again, pretty much. You know, there was there was nothing. So Rich went and started started to put a band together. I'm I we were all living in New York at the time. I moved to L.A. and uh and I, I all this backstory as a way of saying I'm going to L.A. and I'm thinking to myself, well, and I had a writing project I wanted to get involved with. I had some other things to do. But I also know a bunch of producers in L.A., and I thought I could pick up some sessions and then meet some writers in L.A. And just, just various things that I, you know, and I had my wife was pregnant with our second kid. And I'm thinking, I need a few years just to figure out some new avenues. And so I'm going to go do it in L.A. And I moved to L.A. in early 2002. I flew out there in January with my wife to look at houses and, like, met a realtor and start looking for a place to live. We landed LAX, rent a car. I drive straight to the Valley to Encino to meet this realtor that our, my Black Rose manager had hooked me up with. I mean, I'm literally 90 minutes in Los Angeles, and I pull up to the first house, and she's waiting at the front door to meet us. And as I walk up, she's like, hey, I'm Lisa. Nice to meet you. I said, nice to meet you. And in my mind, I'm like, shit, man, I'm actually going to move to L.A. I wonder what the, how in the world am I going to find something here? You know, I'm just thinking like, I guess this is really happening. Mm-hmm. And the first words she says to me are, I was just showing Slash a house, and I told him I was going to meet you, and he gave me uh, his number to give to you. He wants you to call him. The real estate. Okay. Yeah, the realtor. And I, and, I <laughs> and, and she hands me, she hands me a, like a torn-off corner of a piece of paper, and it says, hey, Steve, Slash, with his number. 
<laughs> and I and I looked at it, and I looked at my wife, and I went, "Well, I guess we're going to be okay." <laughs> yeah. Wow, okay. that's a sign. Yeah, yeah. that's a good sign. And here, and the, and this is the honest to God's truth. And I don't know if I've ever told anybody this story. She says, "Well, the owner of this she she says the owner of the home is still here. He's going to let us in, but then he's taken off, so we can look through the house." And I said, "Okay, great." And as I'm staring at the piece of paper that says, "Hey, Steve slash." The front door opens and it's Gilby Clark. Oh my god! What? You moved into Gilby's house? I, no, I didn't buy it, but oh. we ended up looking at. You know, we looked at it. Oh, okay. You were going to move into Gilby's and house. Oh my, Jesus! We, we were just looking. We were just. We were just doing. It was the first of like ten houses. Got it. Got it. Got it. But that's still. That's yeah, yeah. as soon as you move or move, like, process of moving to LA, you're already smacked in the face with Guns and Roses. Like, yeah, it was funny. I was like, <laughs> and, and and I and I, I had shaved my head. Actually, so like I'm bald, really? and yeah, and so Gilby Clark has no. I mean, like he just he just thinks I'm just some dude, you know. Like I mean, he didn't, didn't even look twice. I'd never met him, but you know, if I still had long hair, he might have done the double take, and then we might have had a conversation. But I knew exactly who he was. I didn't say anything. I just mm-hmm. went because I, I was just laugh. I mean, it, it was it all. I wasn't. It wasn't lost on me that I'm holding Slash's phone number. That's Gilby Clark, and I'm still not even two hours. In <laughs> Now I'm now I'm glad you're you're writing a book because if that's a story you've never told, I mean I can only imagine more that you haven't told non GNR and realtor related that you have yeah. <laughs> in store. It was pretty funny, and so I called Slash the next day, and and we had only met a couple of times, um, and I'd always heard from mutual friends like people would say, "Oh man, Slash has always been a big fan of your playing." Like I'd gotten that message from a few people over the years, so. Um, and Slash sat in with the Black Crows once in like 1990 on one of our very first tours. Yes, that was a, a, up to the gig. a question we got. New York, a nine, uh, 1990, uh, June 2001. It's a sin, apparently, he played with you guys at the market. Yeah, yeah, we did like an old blues cover. Yeah. That All makes right. Um, so I called Slash and he said, uh, and, you know, it's like, man, what's going on? And I heard, you know, I heard you, the, the Crows are done. I said, yeah. And he said, well, man, you know, are you here? And I said, well, I'm looking for how I don't know when I'm going to move here. I'm just in town looking for houses. And he said, well, I'm not in any rush. But if you want to get together and jam, you know, whenever you're back in town, let me know. And I said, yeah, sure. No problem. I'd love that. And that week while I was looking at houses, I mean, this is January. So in my mind, I'm thinking we'll get to L.A. by the summer. Well, we found a house that week that we loved. It was perfect. I didn't expect it to be so quick. And, and by the end of February, we moved to LA, like a month later, we're mm-hmm. moving. And so we got moved in, we got unpacked. I'd been there a couple of weeks and I called him and said, Hey, I'm in town. And like right away, like within a couple of weeks, all of a sudden we got together at a, at a rehearsal place in North Hollywood and started playing. And it was, it was about, you know, it was once or twice a week for several months, it would just be me and slash the mm-hmm. two of us for a couple of hours and he just had a million ideas and riffs and he just wanted to jam on them with an actual drummer. And that's what we did. And it was, it was great. I mean, I, I can still remember the first time I sat down at the kit and he plugged in and started playing. And I was like, I'm laughing to myself cause I'm thinking, well, that's fucking slash. <laughs> like no one else plays like that. I mean, he's this fucking hurricane of a guitarist and, just his tone and 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 his personal feel and groove and where he sits in front of or behind a beat, you know, all, all great players are unique in that way, and 
And again, I would have never called myself a Guns N' Roses fan. Like, I didn't put their albums on and listen over and over and over. You didn't have to, at least in the late 80s, early 90s. It was everywhere. Right. But that music is so stamped in your head and his playing. I mean, it was instant where I was like, holy shit, man, I'm playing with Slash. Like, it was just, to me, it was just funny. Like, of all the, you know, it's it's no different than when the Black Hose had toured with Jimmy Page or various people sit in with you and you hear them with it. I mean, on the last Black Hose tour, Peter Frampton popped up on stage one night. Jeez. And it was the same thing. Like, if you had blindfolded me and said, who's playing guitar? After about five seconds, I would have gone, is, is, is that Peter Frampton? <laughs> and, and you don't realize. Yeah, right how much you feel the the uniqueness of all these guys until you're in that situation. And then you're like, Oh my God, that's exactly who that is. So when you're, you're jamming and, and I mean, when you're not overcome with like, Oh my God, I'm, I'm jamming with slash, even for someone who was already established like you. Well, it was, did it's, he... just the, it's, the, it's, it's, it was, it's the most natural thing in the world. I mean, it's really more, well, you're I human. Would, I'd drive, I'd be driving home and then I'd be la- I was just, I'd laugh. I'd be like, man, that was fucking awesome. But, you know, it, when when we would first start playing, it's just it's as normal as if you plugged in a guitar and said, "Hey, dude, let me play you a riff," and I'd go, "Okay, what is it?" And then I'd start playing along to it. it when you're doing it, it's 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 as, it's as in, it's just like this conversation. It's just what you're doing. Right. When yeah. he but when he initially said no rush, I mean, and obviously it on indirectly it became not a rush, but it just happened quicker than you thought with you moving and having to jam with him. Was yeah. was anything? recorded like what kind of, what did he have you jam on because it seemed like he said he wasn't in a rush and then of course velvet yeah, happened was, later so like, was, what was the was, plan well the, well i didn't know it's, and i didn't ask because oh, okay. i was still i mean i was just three or four months removed from my own band where i'd been you know for 14 years i'd just been in one thing and i was just getting out of that myself and it was you know i was just dealing with real life you know i mean i just moved to la and i had a I had a, you know, I had a toddler and then I had a baby on the way and I don't have a job. I mean, you know, I'm just kind of like, I wonder what's going to happen now. I mean, I was very much just getting used to a new landscape for our life and, and, and still trying to make sense of what the Black Crows had been and how it ended. And I mean, I'm just in a different headspace. But there wasn't a point where, but there wasn't a point like when you're, you're figuring out your next phase of your life and say, Hey, maybe my next phase is going to be in a band with Slash. It never occurred, or was it just like it. hanging out? Well, I know I, I was, I was, I thought about it, but I didn't. It's, it wasn't pressing because I was genuinely. I mean, in my mind, I was literally like, "Well, I mean, we're having a baby this summer. I ain't doing shit till, till that happens." I mean, fair, I mean, fair, even, sure. It, it, it was just a. It wasn't even a. It just wasn't worth pursuing in my head, and it was obvious that we were getting. You know, we got along. We would talk a little bit and shoot the shit. We would jam, and then tell stories you know we sit there and just crack each other up with the absurd stories or whatever man did you ever play that place oh what man one night you know it's all that kind of stuff right on and then it was we had played together probably a dozen times and he said hey man what do you think about bringing a bass player in and i said sure yeah that'd be great and he said, okay. And he, knew, and he had heard about a dude. I can't even remember the guy's name. Mm. But uh, all... was, it was so, it, not someone you'd know. I mean, it was like, okay. a total, like a guy came in with a six-string Yamaha bass. He was like a jazz cat. But, but a really, really solid player. And we jammed with him a few times. And he was just a nice dude. And then one day I walked in, and we were always in this little room. It was a place called Mates in North Hollywood. 
And one day yeah, I got yeah. there and I saw Slash's guitar tech and he goes, Hey, you're in the big room today. I said, Okay. And I walk into like the big soundstage room and I'm like, Well, this is this is silly with like, you know, for three guys to jam, we don't need the stage. We just need a rehearsal spice. And I walk in and fucking Duff is up there. And I'm like, Oh, that's funny. Language <laughs> 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 and Duff. And uh and Duff goes, Hey dude, I'm like, Hey man, I mean I'd met him once like ten years earlier. And and he goes, uh, hope you don't mind, man, I, if I crash the party. And I was like, no, that's fucking awesome. And so Slash and Duff and I start jamming. And at one point I stopped and I said, okay, look, I don't know if this is ever going to happen again. And you guys, you know, I don't give a shit if you don't want to do it. But motherfucker, we're playing Welcome to the Jungle. <laughs> Get that intro. Let's do this shit. Nice. And they both laughed. Like, I'm dead serious. I'm not leaving a room with the two of you if we don't fucking play that song nice. I mean, I, you know let's do it and i said i'm bigger than both of you <laughs> I'm, I'm making this and they both laughed and flash thought it was so funny that i demanded it that he fucking played it and he just started doing it and oh, was, amazing you know, like, this is the coolest thing ever that's so cool and uh that's amazing and that was great and we did that with duff a couple times and then and then after that there was only one time Slash said, hey, you want to go get lunch? And I said, afterwards, I said, yeah. And and we went and sat at this cheesesteak place. And I just remember he said, so what do you think of the band, man? And I said, and I, in my head, I'm literally like the band, like Sean <laughs> Helm and Robbie Robertson, like fucking love them. <laughs> and he goes, he goes, no, man, our band. And I go, I didn't know we had one. He goes, well, I mean, maybe. Do you want to be in one? Do you, what do you, th- I mean, are you thinking about this? And I said, I said, yeah, shit, man. If you want to take this somewhere, I'm I'm totally down. This is great. What are you thinking? And he goes, well, the Snake Pit's been fun, but I need to do something real again, like for real. And this is cool. And he goes, I've just never played with a drummer like you that like gets behind the beat and with a lot of swing. Like I'm, I've always played with really straight hard rock drummers, so this is really cool for me. Like. You know, I just I, I can really hear a lot of cool stuff. And I said, well, dude, I think it's great. I love all these songs and parts and pieces. I said, all these, you know, he just has a million ideas, riffs sitting around. And they're great. And I was like, man, this is fucking awesome. And I said, would you want to do something with Duff again? And he goes, well, I was thinking about it. And I was like, well, dude, I'm I'm totally, you know, for whatever. I don't know what it is, but yeah, let's figure it out. And so we had one conversation like that. And and the next night, he and Duff went to – there was a, a, a memorial. I can't remember. Someone died. Some big, like, metal guitarist or shit. You'd have to look it up. In the summer of 2002, there was a thing, like, at the Roxy where a bunch of people went out and all had a big jam to pay tribute to somebody who had just died. Um, and Matt Sorum was there, and he and Duff and Matt all jammed together. And then that's when they had this thing of, like – they all still had this residue from Guns N' Roses, and they were like, "Let's let's go back and do something right this time." And and that connection with Matt, you know, like I, I didn't, you know, that's that. I mean, I got that story later. I heard from Slash, and he said, "Man, I'm I'm gonna do something with Matt and Duff." We're just he didn't give me the whole story then. He just said it's just personal, and I kind of got to pursue that. And I was like, "Awesome!" I mean, you know, great. Like it's not like we had gone. Be, I mean, we literally had had one conversation about maybe we'll do something. And then he walked in a situation which I understood completely. Like, you know, you guys got together and you all felt this need to try to go do something right together again. And I was like, yeah, dude, 
take off. And so, and again, like I said, like I got a baby at home. I got, I mean, it wasn't, it, it wasn't some big thing at all. It was the most natural thing in the world. And when Slash put his book out years later, I, I had someone call me. I was like, did you read Slash's book? And I said, no. And he goes, he says that you were, and it was funny. He goes, he said that was the beginning of Velvet Revolver. And I was like, oh, my God, I, I didn't know I was in that band. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, crazy. How, like, how does that yeah. make you feel then? I mean, they, they obviously were, you know, uh, you know, lightning in a bottle. But do you wish you yeah. were involved in that? And, and, you know, in addition to just the, you know, the, the, the beginning of it, the, the zygote no, I mean, phase I, of it. it doesn't, I've, I've never even thought about that. I mean, because to me, if you say, do you wish you were involved in it? I, t- I think about it very realistically. Huh. Did I want to go be in a band with Wheeland? And did I want to go do this? And do I? Yeah, like, yeah that, true. I mean, I, there's a whole lot to that question because it's an actual concept. It's not a flight of fantasy so no, you're right thought about it i don't you know for what velvet revolver was i don't think i was the right i wouldn't have been the right drummer for that band fair enough um i and know it, my vibe. right fair enough right on it's just very cool that you were somehow involved in the birth of that idea i can say this the stuff i was playing with slash sounded very different than from what velvet revolver became are there any recordings of what you guys did at all was it just jamming you... I, I you know you know what i have no i no i mean it was if they're recordings it's just work tapes we never said and well that's not true i think we did i think he did record it he'd say okay let's he it, but it was just like okay counted in and let's do this thing and then there and then there it was just parts back and forth did you and he wanted to have those recorded. I'm sure, in fact, I'm pretty sure he did. I've never even thought twice about it. I don't know if those still exist or if he has them or what. But but none of them like, hey, I jammed on that that went on to be a um a velvet song oh, or, or perhaps like a Miles Kennedy song, nothing like that. No, not that I'm aware of. That stuff was all very it was different. It was more it was bluesier. It was more a lot, a lot of mid tempo and half time like you know, he. I remember one time he just said, "Man, you just." He goes, "You you play." He goes, "I write these parts, and in my head I'm hearing just really straight hard drums." And he goes, "You cut everything in half, or you just swing it more. It's really cool." And he kept talking about. And he was very like in that sense. He was thinking of it like Zeppelin, like you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but he just said there were just it was just cool. It was just I, I honestly don't remember if you put something on if you if there was a tape and you press play I'd go oh that's me and Slash but but short of that I don't remember any of it you know what I mean like if I heard it I would know exactly what it was but I can't conjure it up in my mind right on because uh, that's uh, just one of the many fan questions because we all want to hear because I think it was just released the other day and Kevin you can correct me it was like a, a 1985 never heard released demo of Appetite for Destruction that I've never heard that's making the rounds on the internet. So, I mean, even if there's, you know, if it's just demo tapes in in today's world of YouTube, I mean, and what you may think is nothing fans are going to want. So that's, that's why I, um, I asked that. Slash's guitar tech, Slash's guitar tech would be the guy who would know. And I'm spacing right now on his name. I'm pretty sure he still works with him. He's been with him for over 30 years. All right. Well, hopefully that'll be a future episode of the AFD show. Uh, but but yeah. in addition to, again, fan questions, and that's part of the reason why I brought Kevin on, uh, he wanted to ask you about Izzy Stradlin in, uh, in the Black Crows tie. So go ahead, Kevin. Yeah, well, it was 
it's been rumoured for many years. Was there any truth to the fact that uh, before you guys got Mark Ford in, that Izzy Stradlin was asked to join the Black Crows? Uh, no, not. <laughs> there's no, no truth to that whatsoever. Finally, I've never. I've never. In fact, I've never even heard that as a rumor. No, we never considered. Mark was the only guy we knew. Mark. And had known him, and he had jammed with us in 1991 a few times. And yeah, when but... when Jeff left the band, it, there was there was never a conversation about anybody. It was just an assumed. It was just a given that it was going to be Mark Ford. I mean, we knew Izzy and some of the other guys yeah. that hung out with him, um, but I don't even remember the time. I, I guess he was already out of the band by then. Yeah, but no, we never thought about yeah. that. That was. And I know, and I can assure you that was, and that's not just, it, it wasn't that I was unaware of it. That conversation never happened. That was always going to be Mark Ford. Right on. Because I, I'm reading an art, uh, this is, it's still on the internet. Because um, I'm just trying to give validity to that rumor and why it was asked. Uh, this is from the L- LA Times. On November, 6th, November 16th, 1991. Uh, Mark Ford, one of the most exciting young guitarists on the Orange County rock scene, is leaving his own struggling band, Burning Tree, to join the Black Crows, a group from, from Georgia, blah, blah, blah. Uh, for, so this is the Izzy tie. Ford, who lives in Fullerton, said Friday, he also received an offer this week to join Guns N' Roses as an onstage substitute for Izzy, a guitarist who is right. reportedly reluctant to continue touring. So said uh, Ford said he refused that offer because playing with the Black Crows would, quote, be a lot more fun. It's my kind of music. I didn't think twice. I'm far more, far more into the Black Crows music than the Guns N' Roses thing. Yeah. Okay, so maybe that's where yeah, the, the mix-up yeah, happened. Mark, Mark, was asked, Mark was asked to replace Izzy, but, but we never thought of Izzy joining the Black Crows. Okay, okay. Okay, cool. Well, we cleared that up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny, I, too, I, I because, know you know, um, just on a total side note, Chris Shiflett, who's the guitarist in Foo Fighters, yep. he, he went to L.A. to audition for Guns N' Roses and, and got the Foo Fighters gig. So in some weird thing, he went down there to play with Guns N' Roses and ended up walking into the room where the Foo Fighters were. And it was like they played with him and they hired him. It was something crazy like that. That's a story I did not know. And want to, uh, follow, I want to follow that rabbit hole. Shiflett told me that... Um, the Black Crow's first tour in 1990 was with a band called Junkyard. And the second date of that tour was in Ventura, California, and his band opened the night. Like, they put a third band on the bill, and it was his band, mm. which I didn't, I had no recollection of, but That's that cool. might have been that band. All right, so we know for a fact, Slash, you know you've at least jammed with, which is so cool. And if anything, I know you were, you were the first... Well, and not like unofficial, unofficial, whatever. You you started that process of Velvet Revolver, whether you knew it or not, which is just amazing. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, no, no concepts. Believe me when I say there's a thing on the radio show. I I told a, a brief version of that story once. I just mentioned I had played the Slash. Oh, that's what it was. We were doing Steve Gorman Sports, and one of the I had a guest call in, uh, just like a football analyst, and I guess he had read Slash's book. And he goes, hey, wait a minute, man. I never knew you were in Velvet Revolver. And I said, I didn't either. You know? And then he told me. And I said, God, I was the first drummer in Velvet Revolver, and I never even knew it. And that soundbite they still use in promos for the show, where I say, I was the first drummer in Velvet Revolver, and I never even oh, knew it. Oh, that's amazing. So, 
That's amazing. Yeah, I, I hear that in commercials for my my show to this day. Oh, that's amazing because uh, uh, we yeah. we know Izzy is stricken from the record. We know about that's you never jammed with him or anyone else that possibly in, in GNR you may have uh, jammed with along the way. Oh, and of course the the indirect Gilby Clark <laughs> con, uh, connection now, so we know that. Any other connections to anybody else? Uh, no, I I did. There was I did a thing. I'm trying to think, what was the keyboard player's name? Was there a guy named Dizzy? Yeah, Dizzy Reed. He's still, he's still in the band. <laughs> yeah, Dizzy Reed. Okay, yeah. I met him once. I'm trying to think of what it was for. And around that same time, maybe a little later, there was something in L.A. where I did. I jammed him and Johnny Colt, who was the original Black Crows bassist, and Dizzy, and maybe Gilby. I, I, this is really weird. I, I've never remembered this. And now that you just said that, it sparked a very vague... I, it was just a happenstance thing. I think there was like a. I was just in L.A. I feel like I was on in L.A. with the Black Crows, but on a day off, I just ended up somewhere. We all had a jam or something. But honestly, the fact that I can't remember it, it, it was it was pedestrian at best, whatever it was. Right on. No, all good. And uh, I guess this may lead you because I don't want to keep you for too much longer and things that you need to remember and. Like this last story you didn't uh, elaborate on un- until now. Uh, you you mentioned before that you are working on a book or you're going yeah. to. What, what's uh, where no, are we I'm, with that? I'm, I'm, I'm knee deep in it right now. It's gonna it'll be out um, in the by the summer of or spring or summer of next year. I can't wait. I mean, I'm assuming it's gonna be about. I mean, of course, you know, black it crows started, and things. But it starts it starts with me moving to Atlanta and. Ends with the band ending in 2014. It's just it's just Black Crows. Okay. I'm not I'm sparing my family and, and everybody <laughs> on the periphery. This is just a book entirely about the experience of being in the Black Crows. Okay. Wow. What made you want to do that now? Because uh, we mentioned uh, uh, before in our segment that Matt Sorum was working on a uh, a book that's quote oh, really? unquote going to be the juiciest GNR book. So that's from uh, one drummer to another. Um, you know, um, I, I it, you know, well, Eddie Harsh, our piano, our keyboard player, died a year, a little over a year ago, mm-hmm. and when he died, I did a segment on. I opened up Steve Gorman Sports with a memorial, if you will. I just just talked about Eddie for about twelve minutes, and I sat down that morning to write it all out. I just wanted to get my thoughts. I didn't want to try to do it extemporaneously necessarily because you could just get really caught up. So I just put down a bunch of bullet points and I just wrote out the structure of what I wanted to say about Ed. And as I was doing that, I just started writing and writing and writing and writing. And it just, I just kind of went into a corner for an hour and just wrote this lengthy, not for even the piece, but it was just a, it was as if I was writing a book about Ed Harsh Hmm. and, and I've always been a writer. I've always written a lot of things and I, but I just, and then I went and did it that day on the air. And then over that weekend, I literally just had this feeling of like, oh, I think I need to write a book about the band now. Like, mm-hmm. it was pretty simple, really. Is it cathartic for you, like it. writing it? Is it? You're getting out yeah. a lot, or you just want to tell your story? Yeah, for sure. Cool. No, it's both. And it's, both, right. And like, as we referenced earlier, there's no Black Crows anymore. There's no, there's no, <laughs> yeah. There's, there's no, there's no one's looking after the legacy. No one's looking after the music. No one's looking after any of it. It's You're just right. dissolved. And that's going to be a, ter- I don't want the Black Crows to reunite, 
but I will always be I, I hate the fact that it ended the way it ended and I hate the fact that it doesn't exist on any level. Like you know, if you wanna if people love the music, that's cool. But there's nobody maintaining the legacy. And I think that's I think that's just terrible. And I and it's sad that that it's so impossible. Even even in death, if you will, the the two brothers fight over every little thing. And it's embarrassing and it's stupid. And so for a, for a once great band to be so treated so there's just so little respect from its own members for what we accomplished. And so, um, you know, it's like there needs to be an account of the band from somebody who was there and somebody who's lucid. And unfortunately that means I have to do it. <laughs> right on. And I, I it's unbelievable because uh, I've never spoken to, to Chris. I, I did speak to, to Rich uh, when he was, he came on, uh, it was over the phone, just like here. He didn't come down to the studio to do uh, a radio tour uh, about his, uh, his new band and, you know, of course, getting asked about the Black Crows, and he's talking about his brother. He's like, he just wants to be, you know, in the Grateful Dead, and he's like, I will never make music with him again. And, you know, it does hurt. It does suck. And that's like a lot yeah. of what we're going through, uh, you know, whether it's some more than in different periods of Guns N' Roses, when Axel was the only one leading, you know, carrying yeah. the name uh, Rose and Roses, as Dee Snyder call, uh, coined it once. Uh, but there was yeah. still a legacy to be carried on, and the Black Crows well, have an amazing legacy that should be told. Yeah, it's just it's just silly. I mean, it, it's 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 sad, and it's just uh, you know, it's comical because it's so absurd. But underneath all the laughter is just a whole lot of pain and frustration mm. for every for for everybody not named Robinson. Well, like, what do you look at? Because now I see Guns N' Roses as potentially uh, maybe it's my bias inspiring other reunions because I feel like I've seen. You know, L.A. Guns, and, and now the big one with uh, the Smashing Pumpkins, uh, but it's like kind of a reunion, not. Um, and I say, you, so like for me, even though you don't want it, and yeah, the, the Eagles are, quote-unquote, the Eagles are out there, I only, I only feel good because it's Glenn Fry's son doing it. And I think uh, Don Henley said once he doesn't want to do it anymore, then they're officially done. But so I think fans, there always will be a hope and want that. Um, sure. I know you did mention before that you would listen to that call. Uh, and I think it's awesome that, you know, that, well, A, well, well, Rich, here's, well, go ahead. Here's what, here's what that means. The, the problem with the Black Crows is a little different from all these other bands. Chris wants total control. That's true. He wants all the money. That's also true. Like, that's what ultimately ended it was he demanded the lion's share of the profits after 30 years of or 25 years of being partners. Uh, and not just to me, but to his own brother. So, I mean, mm. To cross that bridge back in another direction is, you know, to blow something up at the edge of a 25th anniversary tour, which would have been the biggest tour we'd ever done, to put it to that point and then destroy it over greed is really, that's, that's a new realm. I mean, no one's, no one's done that. Like, people have taken control of bands before. Right, actually, It usually happens a lot earlier. It doesn't. I don't think anyone's ever waited 24 years to make a power play. You know what I mean? It's no, like, that's fair. No, dude, we're trying to end this thing respectfully. And and the idea to go out and to legitimately say to everyone who supports the band, thank you. And and he he doesn't think that way. He doesn't care. He just saw it as I need I need all of it. You know, and in his mind, the Black Crows were him. In Rich's mind, the Black Crows were him. You know, they both want, they both struggle with wanting credit for things that a group of people created. 
Were they the famous ones? Absolutely. Did they write the songs? Absolutely. The hard work that put that band in a place where millions of people could hear the music was undertaken and executed and planned by everybody. And, you know, when you've got people that want to take credit and, and, and take and reap all the reward for a group's effort, it's really hard to imagine putting something like that back together again. And especially when it was never pleasant to begin with. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I don't know about any other band's experience and I know all bands have a lot of drama, but when everybody else has spent 20 plus years putting huge efforts into simply keeping the thing moving forward, like uh, that's a huge part of being in the black crows is just, refereeing and saying, come on, guys, stop, let's go, keep going, come on, well, what about this, let's focus on the good, let's ignore, let, focus on our strengths, why do we let our weaknesses bring us down? 20 plus years of that, it's like, and then and then to have it end the way it ended, it was just, it's just too much to say, you know, it's like, why? You guys, if the Black Crows did get back together, and I don't say that it, there won't be an idea floated out there it's going to come down to the fact that one or two people in the band are out of money that's all that's going to do it mm. and people hate hearing that shit and i don't say that with glee it's sad but the reality is chris is going out this year and doing black crows covers with his own he's doing a five-week tour with a bunch of people to just play black crows music that tells me one thing he needs money mm. and he doesn't want to share it with his brother or me or anybody because he needs all of it. So he'd rather have a hundred percent of a small amount of money than 33% of a shitload of money. That's just, that's, that's, that's reality. And it's been sad. That is, that is sad. And uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry you've had to go through that. And I'm not sorry because you've obviously had a lot of success through that. And I can't wait to read about all of this. Yeah. Well, the, uh, the it's, thing, it's a, I mean, I, I'm, I am in no way, shape, or form a victim of all this. I, I bought the ticket, and I took the ride. That, that, <laughs> that, that's, that's, awesome. that's what happened, and, and I own that 100%. And along the way, we were a fucking great band, and we made a ton of great music. And yes, so it's did. all worth it. And my frustrations with the Black Crows are in the context of while we're talking just about the Black Crows and what could have happened or should have happened, it's very frustrating. In the grand scheme of things, it was fucking great. You're right, and again, it's obviously a different band, different personnel, but it's hard for me not to make the GNR correlations there, and I'm sure yeah. that those listening, sure. I mean, there, there are plenty there, uh, and I think the best correlation, though, is that there, there is the fan base that wants it, you know, regardless of what, yeah, you know, sure. so it took GNR forever, we never thought it would yeah. happen, I mean, you know, there was a point, you know, uh, Axel's calling Slash a, a cancer and saying that he's in his ass, and, and it's just like we're, we're, and yeah. you see them smiling next to each other now. Of course, all those zeros attached to it helps, but they yep. seem to be enjoying uh, one, uh, each other's company, yeah. and it seems to continue. So uh, yeah. I will keep the faith in your end uh, for you. Um, because uh, I, you, you really need not do that. <laughs> there, there's tons of there, – there's a there's – a, there's a lot of albums. There's literally thousands. There's almost, you know, there are somewhere between 1,500 and 2,000 live shows that you can go find and listen to. There's, there's, oh, plenty, sure. of, there's plenty of Black Crows out there. Sure. Not, I just right. never saw you guys in concert, to put it that way. I would love to see you in concert. But I can also see you, you know, in concert. It's called, it's called YouTube.com. <laughs> in person. In person. I'm going to see you in person. Uh, okay. not, not just in the radio studio. 
Uh, then yeah. this segues into when uh, what's going on with uh, Trigger Hat? Uh, I almost did it again. Trigger Hippie. What's um? When can I see you guys? Uh, Trigger Hippie is going to. We've got a bunch of music recorded. We are finishing that process. Literally Monday is the final day of mixing, and then by the summer we'll be playing out again, and then plan to play uh, a lot of shows the second half of this year and through 2019 and beyond. All right, cool. So then, if you are out in uh, New York and Long Island, I will see a, a Trigger Hippie show, and we will we will be in both of those places. I I would oh then a pretty safe bet. Then I will. We, play, we played a mm-hmm. uh, West Hampton Performing Arts Center, a little theater there. Um, Years ago, one of our first gigs ever was West Hampton or East Hampton or South Hampton. I don't know. Some there's a little theater out there. I'm trying to think because I know. I mean, obviously, no uh, South Hampton. Great, but it, mm-hmm. we we've always wanted to get back there just because we had such a blast. But we'll be in the city for sure. We'll be in New York City this year several times. Cool. I prefer Long Island just prefer uh, because I prefer parking. I, I, I yeah. fucking hate New York City. Parking's good. Parking's yes. Good. All right, dude. Hey, I'm mm-hmm. sorry. I got to jump. Well, thank you for your time, Steve, and uh, I hope we can talk again soon, especially when your book comes out. All right. Thanks, fellas. You know, it's funny, uh, Kevin. Uh, the whole time I'm thinking, as we're talking to uh, to Steve, and thank you, like, obviously, again, to Steve, and I hope to talk to him uh, further down the road in person or on the AFD show, uh, that he sounds so much like my friend Joe Rock, who is uh, on a previous episode as well. I'm not going to call that a fan episode because he's in radio and he, you know, he gave us kind of like the, the Axel Springsteen uh, analogy throughout, uh, but he's just got a born voice and... And, and me, and I've been watching a lot of uh, nanny reruns lately, and I just feel like, well, oh, let's talk about Guns and Roses. Like, that's just me. And then, <laughs> and, then Axe, and then Gorman comes on. I mean, you know, for someone who's, who's been in a in, in legendary band, and he's just a naturally gifted, and yes, he went to school for it, which I even admire even more, you know, that he's yeah. not just naturally gifted, but he's schooled. He's learned uh, that he just sounds like, you know, James Earl Jones and, you know, so, um, so it's great. And he's, uh, honestly, I know he's an inspiration to a lot of musicians and, you know, for me, uh, a little in radio, uh, since I've met him. And as I told him that idea with the, the GNR, uh, with the Black Crows van, uh, whether we'll, we'll get, uh, one for Trigger Hippie that he, maybe he'll do that then, but I would, but it would just seem like with all Guns N' Roses does, and they're trying to be like innovative and create new things, and how a lot of new life has been breathed into this band, uh, it's I'd be lying. It's just obviously it's just been my own imagination. Like you know, uh, I used to imagine like since I suck, Kevin, at, at being a musician. I'm sure before you were on stage and doing things, you imagine yourself on stage. So I imagine myself doing certain things in radio. That's one of the things I would love to have a Guns N' Roses official radio, and me just happening to be the program director. That's put, that, would, that would work. Think, think about it. Just think about it. The entire playlist picked by members of the band. It's not going to be all GNR all the time. They're going to pick yeah. pick up blues stuff, punk stuff, all that. You're telling me yeah. uh, Slash wouldn't want to have uh, like an interview show, like he interviewed like horror people. You know, like he wouldn't want to do that. Like he wouldn't want to interview like paleontologists, talk about dinosaurs, or Duff wanted to talk about business. Like have like their own little talk shows on there. These are things, like, honestly, I've been thinking about, and this kind of just give, gives me a reason to talk about it because that's Steve yeah. Gorman, somebody who is in both worlds, and his idea sparked, you know, like, where is this podcast going to go? Well, that's, a, yeah. of course, a dream scenario, like a, a little bit of a, a unicorn dream scenario, 
But the thing that he didn't mention, and I will mention um, uh, this because I do have a lot of fans that reach out, and you are, you know, Kevin, you're you are a fan, but you you've become a friend. Yeah. Uh, that I got this one email saying, you know, how can I contribute? How can I help? And that to me, that sounded like money. I don't want your money. You know, I'm not going to tell you to go uh, somewhere to to pay. You know, to help me out. You know, I'm very lucky that I work in radio. No, knock on wood, working in radio is like being in a position. You know, you never know when it's going to end. Uh, that I just happen to be able to do this podcast at my job. I don't get paid for it. You know, I'm I'm lucky. I made contacts to get it on the iHeart app. You know, so to help with that outlet. But this again, this is all me. I'm not getting paid for this. Uh, I just do it out of love. This is a passion project uh, for me. It would be great, um, and Steve inspires me in, in this way as well. I mean, this is typical, uh, you know, a possible sponsor. And despite, I mean, I've done a lot in my 15-plus years in radio. You know, I have considered sales as more more of just like extra income because radio is just like no one—you're not Howard Stern. People don't make—it's uh, not a lot of money nowadays. Like, it's part of like— it's. It's a lifestyle, like being a musician. It's kind of being a lifestyle. Like there's not a lot of Guns N' Roses out there, but there are a lot of musicians out there. So there's a lot of ways you can look at it. Uh, but how you could help, and I, I will read with uh, what if I just got a, a message from a, a fan on Facebook, and I guess and this is how you can help going forward and more wonderful interviews that I'm so lucky to be able to do, get you involved as well, like people like with Sir Kevin coming on, and I want, you know, your questions to be asked. Uh, so this is from uh, Poncho uh, from Texas. Uh, I just found your podcast today and listened to the Alan Niven interview. I was pleasantly surprised to hear an intelligent and insightful conversation regarding guns. Hell, 80, uh, hell 80s, Sunset Strip era rock and roll in general, really. I didn't think that was possible outside someone like Eddie Trunk. I stand corrected. I'll start following your cast. Thanks. No, thank you. That is beyond flattering. I mean, when I get messages from, of course, from Alan Niven, uh, you know, someone like it, it, it all means a lot. Because to me, again, this is just a passion project. I'm not being paid for this. I'm being paid it up for iHeart for doing other things. Uh, but that's how you can help subscribe. So, because if you subscribe, that means I have more followers. And more followers means, you know, hey, someone, if you want to be a part of the show, mention your, your product, like, uh, I did, and I'll say it again, Collar Pop, C-O-L-L-A-R underscore pop. They made a couple of uh, Guns N' Roses related pins. They're on our uh, Facebook and, and Twitter, uh, one of the Axel um, High Top and one of the Missing Izzy Ilk, Ilk Carton, Milk Carton. Um, and he messaged me the day after saying that he got a few orders after I released the podcast. So that's how that works. I mean, yeah, he paid me in two free Guns N' Roses pins, but I was happy to get those pins. It's not always going to be money. Uh, so that's how you can help. And, and who knows where this can go. I mean, people are coming out of the woodwork uh, with this. Did not expect to interview Alan Niven. Did not. Did not expect to interview Rob Gardner. And that's going to be the next episode of the AFD show. So unless you have anything else to add, my dear Kevin. Um, yeah, basically, let it keep going. Um, <laughs> Thank you. I'm, 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 I'm just back in. That's fine. I, I, I know. Uh, you did what's great. Uh, and I'll reveal this one thing as we end the final uh, this, this episode of the AFD show. Uh, talking with Mitch with During Allen, I didn't expect it to go that long. Uh, and I didn't want to interrupt. So I turned off the lights in my studio. 
uh, and I peed in my iHeart water bottle, <laughs> and I threw it out. Like I couldn't, you know. And so that's what you was kind of. I mean, well, you went to your bathroom in your house, so you weren't gross, yep. but you just hopped off the phone for a second as I'm ending this. Yeah. So I uh, see. I was tying everything in together and ending everything awkwardly, <laughs> like I usually do. Urine talk. <laughs> I'm a fucking mess. So I appreciate everyone out there, uh, Kevin, uh, Poncho <laughs> included. Uh, of course, thank you again to Steve Gorman. Looking forward to interviewing Rob Gardner next episode. Thanks to uh, John Miller and Raz Q for setting that up. So that's going to be episode 50 of the AFD show. So that's when it's going to happen. So, But I'm still going to end this, the show the same way because you never know. Just like with Guns N' Roses, you never know until it happens, right? So as far as the next episode of the AFD show is concerned, when will you see it? Well, I don't know if soon is the word, but you'll see it. You've been listening to the Distorted Minds of Appetite for Distortion. Follow the guys on Twitter at The AFD Show and on Facebook at facebook.com slash The AFD Show. security, I'm going home.